0: Friday service at St. Matthew's, 700 years before the Lord Jesus came, the prophet Isaiah said this about him, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one whom people hide hide their faces from, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Please stand and let's sing together. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness. Again, it's wonderful to see you here uh, for this Good Friday service. Uh, for guests uh, both in the building here and online, uh, my name is Andrew Graham and uh, I'm really glad to welcome you here this morning. Uh, we've got a treat this morning as, right in the centre of what we do, we'll hear an extended portion of the account of the death of Jesus, uh, an account given by the closest friend of Jesus. Um, Sorry, uh, uh, given by one of the the witnesses uh, to the death of Jesus. Uh, Julia Anstey will be bringing that for us in two segments uh, in a short while. We'll also have our Senior Minister, Bruce Clark, helping us understand the significance of those events as they unfolded all those years ago uh, for us sitting here in Manly uh, almost 2,000 years later. There'll be more hymns to sing, there'll be a song to enjoy listening to, we'll be praying to God, uh, and that's what we'll do before uh, Julia comes and reads the first part of our reading this morning. Please join me as we pray as Jesus taught his first disciples to pray in the words of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Thanks, Julia. The
1: first reading is taken from... Matthew, chapter 27, verses 11 to 31. It's on page 998 of the Pew Bibles. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus? who is called the Messiah. For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, His blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. The reading continues on page 998 from verse 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall but after tasting it he refused to drink it when they had crucified him they divided up his clothes by casting lots after sitting down they kept watch over him there above his head they placed the written charge against him this is jesus the king of the jews two rebels were crucified with him one on his right and one on his left those who passed by hurled insults at him shaking their heads and saying you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days save yourself come down from the cross if you are the son of god In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now, if he wants him. For he said... I am the Son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone, let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely this was the Son of God." Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons.
0: just as we get ready for our next hymn i'll mention that during the singing of this hymn there'll be a collection for the work of the gospel here at st matthews and beyond and especially for those of you at home later on in the service we're sharing together in the lord's supper so if you don't have some bread and a cup to drink from see if you can wrangle that up before the end of the service let's stand and shall we sing together
2: be seated. Well good morning to you. For those who are new, my name is Bruce Clark, I'm the senior minister and it's great to have you here on this Good Friday and if you're listening online a very warm welcome to you as well. Let me pray as we stop and reflect on this most holy of days. Father we do thank you for Good Friday. We thank you for what were tumultuous unbelievable events that have totally transformed this world and us included and so father warm our hearts assure our hearts work in our hearts to just understand the wonder and the miracle of the cross in jesus name amen well let me say death is typically not a topic that many australians by choice seek to dwell on. We don't experience death today like we did 100 years ago uh, when it was a common feature that people might die at home. Uh, That's not the case. Uh, Death happens far away from us. It's in nursing homes, it's in hospitals. It's sanitised. And in many ways it's removed from us. And yet even when it happens, it's shocking and confronting. And I think of when I've officiated at funerals or ministered to people who've had loved ones die, who have died at a very old age, even then there's still a shock and abruptness that we're often not prepared for. There's something final about death that really does just bring us to a stop. And yet here we are today remembering and celebrating a death, that of Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter's son who was executed nearly 2,000 years ago. And when you reflect on him, he had a very short and remarkable life. He was born into poverty to a very, very young country uh, guy. They were a young couple. And At the age of only 33, his life was abruptly brought to an end in what you could say was a conspiracy between the religious and political rulers of the day. And what's fascinating is for me, none of us here were close to Jesus at the time of his death. And what I mean by that is none of us here are related to him or his family. We're really complete strangers to him and his family. My assumption is there, there are no blood ties, but yet here we are. And not just us, probably 30% of the world is going to stop this day and remember this one death. And such is the strength of emotion attributed to the death of the Lord Jesus that we call this day Good Friday. The brutal death of Jesus of Nazareth is somehow celebrated as good news on this day. And I want to stop and ask the question, why? What's so significant about this day? And why is this death so important over against all the other deaths of history? I cannot think of any other death that is celebrated the way this death will be celebrated and remembered. And why is it good news? Well, the very simple answer is this. When you think about Good Friday and when you think about Jesus' death, people have stopped and reflect on the cross and said, that is the event. When I understood it, it changed my life. I have been transformed by what Christ did on the cross that day. And that's why it's good news and that's why I want to speak on this today. The whole reality that we can be transformed as we come to understand what Christ was doing when he died on the cross that day. And it's interesting, clearly transformation is a big idea in our current culture. I mean, you just walk around Manly and there are Pilates groups, uh, there are gyms, there's all sorts of gyms. I was having a look on the um, Google Maps to work out how many gyms there are. I think there's over a dozen here in Manly. And we love to try and keep our bodies in check and have them transformed. And then when you think about the whole area of diets, I read some interesting thing about diets. Uh, There was a study from Harvard University, and it showed that at any one time, a third of us are on some sort of a diet. Now, I'm not gonna do a scientific research today and get people to put their hands up, but I'd be very surprised if there are not people here in the building who are on a diet of some way, shape, or form. And the research in Australia shows that I think it's 92% of young women at some stage will be on a diet to lose weight. Um, 44% of middle-aged women Uh, I don't know why it doesn't reflect on men, but there you go. Uh, I have dieted myself, I'll just say that. Uh, But the sobering statistic is this, when you look at dieting, and it is sobering, weight loss dieting research shows that one third to two thirds of the weight is regained within one year, and within five years, it's all back. (laughs) It's like a good old friend that will never leave you. Which does leave you asking, why do we bother? And I was thinking about those statistics in relation to my weight and it just goes up and down like that and uh, I think I'll keep it off and then I see Anita's gelato and I think, gee, it's so lovely. And so in talking about Jesus' transformation, the transformation he brings, I want to say I'm not talking about a quick religious fix that's like a diet that we might go on. The change that comes from understanding Jesus' death Is a change that is profound. It is a change that really is deeply rooted in our lives and what's remarkable is the way people have spoken about this deep, profound, lasting change that takes place when they've encountered the grace that flows from Jesus' death. And it's remarkable because the people who will speak of this transformation are from all ages, all cultures. They're from all stations of life. People who are young, people who are old, people who are convicted prisoners to heads of government, people who are tradies to leaders of industry, from young adults to ageing senior citizens. They all speak of this one reality that the death of Christ has changed me. It's the testimony of real people. It's my testimony of how my life was changed and turned around from being a selfish individual who lived for himself to wanting to serve God. Jesus' death transforms lives and it can transform yours even today. And there's three things I want to look at as we think about this whole topic of transformation. Firstly, We need to understand the events of the cross. And I want to just go through that narrative as well as reflect on some of the Old Testament passages uh, that reflected on it and spoke to it. Secondly, we need to believe the miracle of the cross and thirdly, receive the Christ of the cross. Let's first start by thinking about the events of the cross and what actually took place. And it's worth saying Jesus was an innocent man when he died that day. And unlike all humanity, ourselves included, Jesus did not die for his own sins. He was innocent, and yet he was killed, literally like a common criminal. And two significant actions in the last week of his life, I think, were the final nails on the cross that day. Firstly, he entered the city of Jerusalem deliberately and pointedly by riding an unridden cult into the city, to fulfill a well-known prophecy that the king of Israel would enter Jerusalem this way. As he neared the city of God, he was symbolically proclaiming to all of Jerusalem, I am the coming king. Let me read to you from Zechariah 9.9. It was a well-known prophecy in that day. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And this is what Jesus was doing deliberately, intentionally. But secondly, once he was in the city, Jesus went to the temple and overturned the tables of the priests who were selling their wares. In doing this, he was now acting like he was actually the king of his temple, who had all authority. And it's worth saying the reaction from the Jewish leaders of the day was outrage. Who does this man think he is? And so they devised a way for him to be handed over to the Romans for trial. And even though he was innocent, he would die the death of a sinner. And amazingly, at his trial, even the Roman ruler Pilate knew Jesus was innocent, but he just gave in to the mob of the Jewish leaders who corralled him into crucifying. Matthew 27, we had read, verse 22 and 23. What shall I do then with this Jesus who's called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Pilate knew he was innocent. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. He died an innocent man. But he was also beaten and mocked. And there's this harsh brutality about the death of the Lord Jesus that day. After being sentenced to death, the Roman soldiers mocked him as a pretender king. Verse 28, they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And then they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. And then they knelt in front of him and they mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again and again. The chief priests mocked him, the teachers of the law mocked him, even the elders mocked him, the soldiers were mocking him, the crowds who passed by mocked him and I strongly suspect if we were there we would probably sadly have mocked him. What's amazing is this was all predicted 800 years prior by the prophet Isaiah. Let me read to you from that reading that Andrew began the service with. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. But thirdly, he didn't just die as an innocent man and a mocked and beaten man. He was a crucified man. And the gospel accounts don't give many details at this point of his death, but they all paint a common, simple picture. Verse 31 After they'd mocked him, they took off the robe and they put on his clothes, and then they led him away to crucify him. And crucifixion was the ancient world's summum supplicium, or ultimate penalty. It was gruesome, it was horrific, and it was a way to die that was designed to both humiliate the offender and prolong the agony. And it was so horrific that no Roman citizen was allowed to be crucified that way unless there was a direct edict from Caesar. But among the Jews, the horror of the cross was greater still because of what Moses had said in the book of Deuteronomy. And Moses wrote, anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. And so for a Jewish person to die on the cross, their understanding was they weren't just dying in an awful, ultimate way, but they were dying cursed by God. The Jews, in wanting Jesus crucified, wanted him to face The ultimate penalty, not from a human point of view, merely, but from a spiritual point of view, that this Jesus be cursed by God. But what was remarkable and what is commented on by the gospel writers is not the gory details of the crucifixion. It's spoken of very briefly. But what they write about is the events that surround that crucifixion. And they help us to understand what's taking place. And they are details redolent with significance. The text records with simplicity what happened. Verse 37, above his head they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. The two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And it's interesting, when you read John's gospel, we're told... That it's not just in one language, but Pilate had it recorded in three languages that Jesus was the King of the Jews. It was in Aramaic, it was in Latin, and in Greek. In other words, it was written there so that the world would know here is the King. There is a deep irony about what Pilate asked for that day. But secondly, and I think very significantly, he dies in the company of other sinners. And from the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, he was always, could I put it this way, far more comfortable in the presence of sinners than the religious people of the day. It was no surprise then that he ended up dying with them. And thirdly, Jesus died abandoned by God. And for me this is the most striking feature of the gospel accounts of Jesus terrible and horrible death in his hour of need his father was nowhere to be seen verse 45 and 46 from noon until three in the afternoon darkness came over all the land about three in the afternoon Jesus cried out in a loud voice Eli Eli lama sabachthani which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the cry from the cross by Jesus that day was one of being abandoned by God. And you stop and think, all through his life, Jesus had called upon God as his Father. All through his life, he had spent time where he would withdraw and pray to his father. All through his life he had performed miracles and taught as one who had God with him in everything. There was an intimacy and closeness with God his father that is unique and remarkable. Yet in his time of greatest need, God is nowhere to be seen. A subject that is rarely referenced, yet alone spoken about seriously these days, is hell. Yet it's real. And one way that you could define hell is that it is the absence of God and his goodness. Hell is the place where all life, all relationship, all sense of meaning and purpose have been taken completely away. It is the condition that goes on for eternity where you have no one, you know no one, where there is nothing good, only loneliness, regret, pain and suffering. And when Jesus spoke of it, that is often how it's referred to. People in agony with deep regret, And unlike popular culture that thinks it's a place where you can go and be with your mates, there'll be no mates to hang out with in hell. That's one of the great lies of the devil. All goodness, all presence of God, all things that you count worthy and lovely, stripped away and gone for eternity. And this is what Jesus was enduring on the cross. God, his father, had abandoned him and he faced hell on that cross. This is the story of Good Friday, of Jesus of Nazareth and his death. The miracle worker loved by the crowds, dying as an innocent man, beaten and mocked before being led out to the place of the skull where he was nailed to a cross and slowly and painstakingly killed, symbolic of being under God's curse, he died between two sinners and God his Father was nowhere to be seen or heard. It is the most sobering event in the record books of history. And you may well ask, how does this awful event transform my life? Is it because it's an incredible act of love and self-sacrifice? Because we know that Jesus went there willingly. And some might say, yes, but if it is just that, an act of love and sacrifice, then the story has no credibility to explain the incredible and extraordinary power for good that it's generated through all of history. I mean, stop with me and think we are just literally days away from commemorating the 107th anniversary of Anzac Day. Many people have laid down their lives for others in the most heroic of circumstances, and we'll remember that rightly in just a week and a half's time. And while we remember the sacrifice and keep the memory alive of people who lost their lives defending the freedoms that we so deeply cherish here in Australia, what is plainly obvious on that day is that there is no one person who gave their life in that war or any other campaign that we honour above another. I have great uncles buried in the fields of France who never came home. And I'm sure we all have stories like that. But no one will speak of those people as ones who changed our life. So how do we be transformed? Well, secondly, we believe the miracle of the cross because the the death of Jesus is not just a historical event, which it is. It's a supernatural event. And any explanation that sees the death of Jesus in mere human terms and focuses on the human suffering fails to significantly understand what is actually going on on the cross that day. This is not just a story of human suffering and torture and abandonment. This is an event where God is profoundly at work in the very face of human evil and rebellion. God showed up and continues to show up when we understand and believe the miracle that took place that day. And the account for those who have ears to see eyes to see and ears to hear testifies to this you see as jesus died god's judgment descended and we know that because in verse 2040 sorry in verse 45 we read that from noon until 3 in the afternoon darkness came over all the land and whenever you read through scripture and darkness descends in the middle of a day it's because god is judging, And this judgment lasted for three hours. And the cross was an act of God judging the sin of the world. On the cross that day, Jesus was judged in our place for our sin. The one who knew no sin, Paul says, became sin for us. And he drank the cup of God's wrath. He faced hell for us. But that's not all. It's not just that God's judgment descended, it's also that heaven's door was open. Forgive me for the typo. I saw it this morning and couldn't uh, change it. When Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And you may have wondered, Why that event is recorded? Well, it is a most profound symbolic act that God does to communicate to the world that the barrier between me and you is broken. And the curtain was this physical shield that prevented humanity from entering literally into the presence of God. But as Jesus dies, it is destroyed, it's removed, it's broken into two. And the door to heaven swings open But thirdly, new life came from God. Matthew records, and is unique amongst the gospel writers, a unique event that took place. As the death of Jesus took place, the earth shook, verse 51, the rocks split and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died Were raised to life. And it is a fascinating little um, aside that's put in there. And I think what it's communicating is the earth is shaking, the dead are rising, because out of this death comes life. And you see, this is the miracle of the cross. Sin is absolutely paid for, judgment is born, hell is averted, heaven is opened. And new life begins. And you see, the question is this. Do you actually believe this? You see, why does Jesus' death change our life? Because at the cross we discover a God who loves us. Our eyes are open to see that God is for us in his son, the Lord Jesus. At the cross we discover a God who wipes away all of our failings, all of our shame, all of our guilt, it is wiped clean. At the cross, we find a God who calls us home. Heaven's door is now open and he calls us to come to him. At the cross, the price has been fully paid. The last words of the Lord Jesus, as he dies, well, it is finished. And it literally means it's paid and because of that we can receive grace and hope and acceptance and here's the thing grace hope and acceptance can transform any person's life which leads me to my third and final point what we need to do is receive the Christ of the cross I love how the account finishes when the centurion and those with him were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that happened. They were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. There's a deep irony that it's the Roman soldiers, those who were considered the most unclean by the Jewish people. They are the ones who work it out. This man dying was actually the son of God. He was the king. And I want to ask you a simple question. When you look at the cross, what do you see this day? Do you see a magnificent, innocent man dying an unjust, just and brutal death? Or do you see more? Do you see God in his love giving his son to you? Do you see that judgment has been taken? That heaven is open? That there is new life to receive? Do you feel the earth shake this day? Do you believe that new life is available? I wanted to simply invite us to come to the King this day, the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe in him and what he's done for you, and to receive him as your King. And like that Roman centurion proclaimed, surely this man is the Son of God. Well, we do that. We receive him as king by admitting that we've failed him. It's what the Bible calls sinners. And we come and invite him to be the king of our life and come into our life. And the profound and amazing thing is he does that by his Holy Spirit. And it changes us forever. Friends, if you'd like to do that this day, I wrote a very simple prayer for us. And if you are yet to come to that point of knowing God's acceptance, his love and grace and mercy, the assurance of heaven and being part of his family, come to him this day. Do you understand what took place that day on the cross? Do you believe the miracle of the cross? Well, then I invite you to receive the King of the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us bow our heads. I'm going to give us a moment just to stop and to reflect. And then I'm going to lead this, this prayer, lead us in this prayer. And if you'd like to respond and invite the King to come into your life, please pray with me. Let me pray. And if you would like to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your King. Pray with me these words. Dear Lord Jesus, this day I confess that I have sinned and wandered from your path. I believe that Jesus died for me and my sin. Please forgive me. I receive you as my King and Saviour this day Amen. Well, if you've prayed that prayer, I know that God has heard you and I pray that God will be with you. And what would be a wonderful thing to do is actually let someone know that you've given your life to him this day. And there are some uh, little cards in the seats in front of you. We'd love to hear any feedback on this today's service, particularly if uh, you've taken that step to pray and you can just scan that QR code and let us know, but we're gonna stand now and sing. Uh, It's a wonderful song. It's uh, the great hymn, which I wrote down in my notes here. When I survey the wondrous cross, let's stand and sing.
0: In a moment uh, we'll be praying together and then we'll be sharing together in the lord's supper uh, if you don't have one of the little communion packs uh, like this would you put your hand up and um, the ushers will bring one of those around to you oh we've got someone taking their coat off over there uh, there's someone down the front and over here thanks jenny Uh, We're just getting used to these communion packs. They're a COVID-friendly way of sharing together in the Lord's Supper. One of the things we're finding is getting the lids off is a bit tricky. So now would be a good time to take the plastic one off at the top and the foil one underneath it and just hold on to the bread and the cup as we pray and as I introduce the Lord's Supper. No, No one else needs one? Terrific. I'll lead us in prayer. Almighty God, look with mercy on your family gathered here today, for whom our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be betrayed, to be given into the hands of sinners, and to suffer death upon the cross, who now lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. And gracious God, you have made all people, and you hate nothing that you have made, nor desire the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to Christ and live. Have mercy on all who do not know you, and who do not profess faith in Christ, and bring them back into your fold, that we may be one flock under one shepherd, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Um, The Lord's Supper is a simple ceremonial meal which takes takes us back to the night before Jesus went to the cross. It was the last meal that he shared with his disciples. In preparation for sharing together in the Lord's Supper, please join me in this prayer of confession where we recognise our own sin and the ways we've fallen short of uh, of God's glory. Let's pray together. Merciful Father, we have strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the schemes and desires of our own hearts and have broken your holy laws. We have left undone what we ought to have done, and we have done what we ought not to have done. Yet, good Lord, have mercy on us. Restore those who repent according to the promises declared to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Grant, merciful Father, for his sake, that from now on, we may live godly and obedient lives to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Hear these words of assurance written 700 years before Jesus came by the the prophet Isaiah, who saw his coming, when he says, For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. We can know that our sin is forgiven in Christ. So let's listen to what happened on that night before Jesus was crucified as as he gathered with his disciples and taught them about the significance of what was soon to take place. The scriptures describe how on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the meal, Jesus took the cup And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer before we join together. We take and eat together and we drink together. We thank you, our Father, that in your love and mercy, you gave your only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our salvation. By this offering of himself once and for all time, Jesus made a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world and commanded us to continue a remembrance of his precious death until his coming again. Hear us, merciful Father, and grant that we who receive these gifts of your creation, this bread and this wine, according to our Saviour's command, in remembrance of his suffering and death, may be partakers of his body and his blood. Amen. So friends, let's take and eat this bread in remembrance that Christ died for us. And feed on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. And let's drink from these cups in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for us and be thankful. and we'll continue in this prayer of thanksgiving and dedication together. Please join me. Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your son and brought us home. Dying and living, he declared your love, gave us grace and opened the gate of glory. May we who share Christ's body live his risen life we who drink his cup bring life to others we whom the spirit lights give light to the world keep us in this hope that we have grasped so we and all your children shall be free and the whole earth live to praise your name amen well in a moment i've got one more verse to share with you from the prophet isaiah and then Uh, a word of encouragement and benediction as we close. But firstly, I'd just like to pass on another warm welcome to you if you're a guest with us this morning. Uh, As Bruce mentioned uh, during the the sermon, uh, we have a little uh, card like this you'll find in front of you. We'd love to know that you've been here and you could let us know that way. And for you at home, there'll be a QR code on your screen which you could use. Otherwise, of course, please just come and say hello to me or to Bruce, we'd love to meet you uh, before you leave this morning. Uh, coming up at St. Matthew's, um, Easter Sunday is really the high point of uh, our year as uh, believers, as we celebrate the open tomb and the risen Lord Jesus. Uh, we'd love to see you there and anyone you'd like to bring along with you. Uh, details of the services are on our little Easter brochure, which uh, our little Easter flyer, which you'll find out the back there. Please take one with you. The the services are at their normal times, 8, 10, 5 and 6.30. And the one at 8 will be a traditional service in keeping with the one that we've had uh, this morning. But you'd be welcome at any of those. There are children's programs at the 10 and 5 service. Something else that's coming up at St Matthew's, which which would really suit you well, if you're finding yourself with questions about Jesus or God you're just not sure about, you'd like a place where you could ask those questions. Um, The the Alpha course has been used all over the world and it's been so helpful to people in the kind of situation you find yourself in there. And we're running it again at St Matthews in May. It runs over eight weeks, a two hour session each time with a light dinner beforehand. It's a chance to explore questions about life and God and Jesus, big questions, where your questions are welcome. Uh, it's, It's a chance to get to know the Lord Jesus. Uh, You'd be welcome to come along by yourself or with a friend, and there are more details about the Alpha Course. Uh, You you might be sitting on them. Uh, There was one, I think, put on each seat as you came in. We'd love to see you at the Alpha Course coming up in May. It's the second Tuesday of May, May the 10th, and you'll hear more about that at St Matthews and online. Um, If you'd like to come, uh, please let us know again using that QR code. Just as we close, I'll say to you, if you did pray with Bruce at the end of his talk to receive Christ, we're delighted that um, uh, you've taken that step. We really would like to help you in those first steps as you begin to learn what it means to receive Christ and to follow him. So we'd love it when you're ready, if you'd let us know so that we can walk with you through these uh, wonderful days of beginning to follow him. Would you like to stand? And I'll read for us from another verse from Isaiah 53. With a reminder that we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. So friends, may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep our hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his son Jesus Christ our Lord And may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, be be among us and remain with us always. Amen.